Thank you, worship team, and hello again, everyone. It's good to see you here. And uh, for those joining us online, uh, it's great to have you with us as well. I'm going to invite you, if you have a Bible, uh, to turn to Exodus chapter 3 as we are in a study uh, in this, the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. And today, we are going to uh, look at Moses in the burning bush that Moses believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses, Moses did not believe in the many gods of Egypt. He knew God existed, but today he's going to encounter this God. And he's not only going to find out more about who this God is, he's going to realize that God has a purpose for him, that God has a calling on his life. And Moses, when he hears about this calling, is overwhelmed. He feels unqualified. He throws his hands up again and again, basically saying to God, you've got the wrong person, and I'm not sure that your plan is going to work. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has a calling on your life. Paul says that we are to walk worthy or live worthy of the calling that we have received, that God has called you out of sin into a relationship with himself. And your call involves uh, who you are and what you're becoming and then what you do. The becoming is where you start. I belong to you, Lord. I want to become more like you. Your calling in life is to become more like Jesus, that you represent him, and your calling also involves doing things for Jesus, serving him, living for him. And uh, this calling that you have, your being is more important than your doing. So if you're, you become a new Christian and you're like, okay, I have to do this and I have to you know, put other people first and I gotta serve and help people and God wants me to use you, in time you're gonna burn out, in time you're gonna feel overwhelmed. You always start with who you are. I belong to you, Lord, and I wanna rely on your strength and not simply my strength. And we like Moses, um, we, at times, we just feel like, Lord, I can't do it. And maybe you're here today, and God's not calling you to go and rescue two million slaves out of Egypt under the most powerful man alive at the time, but God might be calling you to do something at school for him. He might be calling you to do something at work for him. Maybe it's start a business uh, for his glory. Uh, maybe it's going uh, to work with children or helping out in Sunday school or becoming a life group leader or helping out down at the arena in the name of Jesus. God calls us. He sends us to different places. But we, like Moses, sometimes we can feel overwhelmed and unqualified. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not articulate, articulate enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not perfect. And so we can run, fall into this mindset that God just can't use me. And today, for, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, no one is exempt you represent Jesus, you're to live for him, and he wants to use you. So today we're going to see Moses and how God moves or shifts his mindset from one where I can't do it, you know, I'm not good enough, strong enough, to a mindset focused on God. And God makes this promise to him, and he makes this promise to you, I will be with you. And today we're going to learn about this God who is with us, who promises to be with us when we go to school, when we go to work, when we're raising our kids. And when you grasp, this is really is a foundational passage about God. When you grasp who this God is, I mean, it's like electrifying truth. So today I'm hoping you're, you're getting a, a charge from God's word this morning. Um, 
as, as you go with him. So if you have a Bible, Exodus chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 1. God wants to use you in the life of others to bring Jesus and serve Jesus in his name to other people. So beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So we pick up with Moses. He's not in Egypt, the baby in the basket. If you recall, his first 40 years, he's in Egypt, and then he takes matters into his own hands. He has to flee. He flees east from Egypt into uh, what's nowadays, nowadays, now called uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, into Midian. And uh, so for the next 40 years, he's spending in Midian. And God's, God's going to call him at 80 years of age, uh, this purpose. So he's been with these sheep for 40 years. And notice it's around the area of uh, Horeb, which is referred to as the mountain of God. Another name for Horeb uh, is Sinai. So Sinai, which is just, uh, it's in the Sinai Peninsula, just a little further west of the area of Midian. So he's there looking after his sheep. There's Moses. Verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why, this, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So here is Moses somewhere around Mount Sinai looking after sheep. He sees a bush that's on fire. Now, in the Middle East, seeing a bush on fire is not uncommon because the heat uh, of the Middle East, of the sun in the Middle East, it, it, bushes do catch fire. But this bush was different. It wasn't consumed. It kept burning. He goes over to take a look, and he hears the whisper of God, Moses, Moses. And so it's an invitation to come closer, but as he's going closer, then there's the instruction, don't come any closer, take off your sandals, because where you are is holy ground, that Moses is going to encounter the living God, and where God is, and by the way, in the Old Testament, uh, his presence is often associated with fire, but where God is, there's holiness. He's a holy God, and so we have this paradox God's transcendence. He's holy and uh, apart from us, and we can't approach him as sinful beings, but yet he is also imminent. He is near. He knows us, sees us, loves us. And so both of these things, he calls Moses, but you can't come any further. Take off your sandals. Um, so so uh, we have this this sense that the greatness of God and the goodness of God. With the presence of God, uh, you'll find as you read your Bibles, there's always a sense of his holiness there. So that's why whether it's here uh, in the bush or whether it's in the tabernacle, the temple, um, we can't just waltz into the presence of God. Whoa, take off your sandals. In the Old Testament, as you look at the temple and the tabernacle, they have all these rooms. Like, why all the measurements? Why do we have curtains? Why do we have the Holy of Holies? Why do we have an altar? Again, it's the idea. You just can't waltz into the presence of a holy God with your sin. So Moses is invited to come near. He's going to encounter this God. 
Uh, then God is going to share with him his plan, his eternal plan, and Moses, I want to use you. Verse, uh, sorry, the, the next verse. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Notice that this God sees, hears, and cares. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are impressing them. So God is seeing what's happening in Egypt. Now he's speaking to Moses near Mount Sinai and says, I've seen the oppression of my people, and I've come down. Notice the, word, the phrase there, to rescue them, rescue, to deliver, to save, to redeem. Again, this exodus points to a greater exodus. We find the same language in the story about Jesus. He came to rescue us, save us, redeem us, deliver us out of our sin into a relationship with him. So Moses, here's the plan. I've seen it, and I'm going to do something. Verse 10, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Notice, so now go. Moses, 40 years earlier, being raised in Pharaoh's court, uh, Moses was educated, he was skilled, he knew how power and politics worked, and he saw the oppression of the Hebrew people, and he's like, I'm gonna take things into my own hands. I gotta do something. That's the 40-year-old Moses. But Moses is 40 years in the desert where God has prepared him. Again, God's will always has a what, but it has a when. God may be calling you to do something at school, but it's just not yet time. God might be calling you into a relationship, but it's just not yet time. There's always a when. And for Moses, God had to take him to Mount Sinai, to the wilderness, so that Moses could learn where the water was. He could learn where the trade routes were. He could learn who the people were. So when they would return to that very mountain, Moses knew. He was prepared. So just a note there, God's will always has a what, but a when. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Uh, verse 11, and Moses said, let's go. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now granted, he's 80 years old. Okay, he's a little bit weaker, but that's not what's driving this question. Who am I? Uh, Pharaoh, the most uh, powerful man in the world at the time, has two million slaves, and I'm supposed to go to him and say, hey, I know you've got slaves in your economy, but actually, God's told me to tell you, let them go. Uh, that plan's not going to work. I'm not the guy for that. And then here's God's response, verse 12. And God said, I will be with you. Over and over again, God's going to get his attention, Moses' attention, off of himself and relying on himself and his abilities onto God. Life's not about Moses. It's about God. Life's not about you. It's about 
God, I will be with you. He doesn't say to Moses, hey, Moses, look. Look at your resume. You know the Egyptian language. You know how power and politics work in Pharaoh's cart, court. You're the guy. You got this, Moses. Now, as followers of Jesus, we need to be encouraging one another. You got this. You can handle that interview. You got this. You can ask her out. Or uh, you got this. You can do that job. There's that encouragement. But if it's just you, yourself, and, and I, it all relies on you, oh, not so sure about that. But with God, we can say, you got this, as long as we're relying on God. And God says to Moses, I'm going to be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses, you're going to go. That's my calling on your life. You're going to bring these people, and you're going to bring them back here to this very place. Moses throws up his hands in a sense again in verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Okay, I'm not your guy, but let's just say I am your guy, and I do go. I'm going to be asked uh, by my fellow Israelites, like, uh, who told you to do this? And Moses here isn't looking for God's name so he can make a polite introduction. Oh, Hebrew people, all two million of them, I'd like you to meet, you know, uh, what was your name again? Okay, it's not a polite introduction. They're going to know or want to know who you are, what you are like, and God is now going to reveal himself in a greater way to Moses. Moses knows God exists, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knows the gods of Egypt are all false gods, and God is going to speak to him who he is. This passage here uh, is a foundational passage about who God is. If you want to know who God is, this is foundational. This is um, exciting truth. Okay, so let's look, verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. God, who are you? Who am I supposed to tell them has sent me? And God says, I am who I am. And then a shorter version, simply, I am. Now, the Hebrew... Uh, verb that we, this translated I am, uh, literally means to be. So God is saying to Moses, before I tell you like my name, I'm going to tell you who I am, my nature. I am. I'm, I'm the essential being. I simply exist. I'm the God who is. So if you're here today and you're asking the question, so who is God? God is who he is. Any more questions? <laughs> I am. God has no past. God has no present, uh, future. He is eternally present. He's, I am. I exist. I'm the being, the central being. God then shares with Moses, Here's, I've always existed, I'm just, I am. Here's what you can call me. 
here's my name. And uh, in the he gives in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. Notice Y-H-W-H. If we can go back to that screen, the earlier screen, Y-H-W-H, the Hebrew word Yahweh. There's no vowels. The Hebrew language just has consonants, 22 consonants. And in the text, you just have those consonants. And there's dots and lines that uh, help us uh, put words together, the, con- the uh, vowels. So we would say, it's, we believe it's Yahweh. And this is the personal name of God. This is the most common name of God. When you read your Bibles, the word Yahweh, uh, that word is translated 6,800 times into our English, the Lord. And notice the Lord is all in capitals. So anytime you're reading your Bible and you see uh, the capitals, L-O-R-D, that is coming from Yahweh, his personal name. And that's who, Moses, you're to say, has sent you, Yahweh, I am. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because in Scripture, we find many names of God communicating to us what he's like, who he is. Just a few things from this name, Yahweh, the great I am. First, it means he is eternal. He never had a beginning. God simply is. So when you're, if, you have a, if you have children, when your child asks, who made God? Because you're sharing with them. God made the sun. God made the stars. God made the moon. God made white dwarf binaries. We can't see them, but God made those too. God made this universe. God made you. God made me. And then your child will ask, well, who made God? Nobody. He simply is. He's the I am. Oh, that your child would never lose that foundational truth that God simply is. He wasn't made. He never had a beginning. He will never have an end. He didn't come into being. He cannot go out of being because he is being. God is eternal. Secondly, he is self-existent. He depends on nothing to bring him into being or to support him in his being. Uh, there's a theological term called aseity. It's Latin. We get it from a Latin word which means from himself. He simply exists by himself. He's utterly independent of anything else. All that is not God is dependent, totally dependent on him. We live in a self-contingent universe. Eternal is not matter. It, it was not etern- matter was not eternal. Okay, it had a beginning point. And everything in our universe, all matter, is contingent upon anything else. It's unbelievable how it all works. So again, for, just for you, for example, you would not be here if there wasn't the nearest moon. Your existence is contingent upon the nearest moon. Your existence is contingent upon water. Your existent, existence is contingent upon the sun. And we could just go all through until you're like, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. But you are a contingent being. You depend on something else. God is utterly dependent. He's not dependent on anything in his creation. He is self-existent. Number three, he is unchangeable. He cannot be improved. He is not becoming anything. There's no development in God. There's no progress in God. Absolute perfection cannot be improved. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. A few more things. He is absolute reality. Uh, 
there's no reality, if we can get to the next slide, there's no reality uh, before him, before he creates, there is only God. There's no universe, no galaxies, no Milky Way you know, systems, no planets, no stars, nothing. Sometimes, uh, talking about creation, I speak of you know, you know, emptiness, or there is nothing. How could something come from nothing? But even nothing implies a sense of measurement. There was even no nothingness. There was simply God. He's the ultimate reality. Uh, he's incomparable to anything in his creation. That's why uh, Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, um, he said, the nations, there is nothing to God. They're a drop in the bucket. You see all these people running around that little planet? They're all crickets. Well, I think he said grasshoppers. I like crickets because it reminds me, crickets seem to chirp more. I don't know if that's science or not, but anyway, they're all crickets. Look at them all, right? He's unchangeable. He is reality. And he is the absolute standard for all that is, right? When it comes to beauty, comes to goodness, comes to truth, he's the standard. It starts and ends with him because that's who he is. We sometimes, you know, we talk about truth. Truth is that which aligns with reality. Well, truth is that which aligns with the ultimate reality, with him. If it doesn't align, it doesn't matter if it's your truth or my truth. It's not truth. It's, it's false. So he is the absolute standard for all that is. He simply is. So God's not up there with a, a, a law book saying, hmm, I'm the absolute standard for what's right and wrong. Huh, what, uh, what is right? What is wrong? No, it's who he is. He consults no law, law book. He is all that there is. Okay, anybody, like, I get excited about this God, but put your seatbelts on, okay? Everybody got your, ready to go here? Here's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Today there's people that don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. 2,000 years ago there were people that didn't believe Jesus said who he was. In fact, there were a bunch of religious leaders that are by the temple, and they are saying to him, we don't believe you. You have a demon. You don't belong to God. And in that, they're very hostile to Jesus. And in that conversation, uh, Jesus says to them, um, you know your father Abraham? And Jesus was of the line of Abraham too, but Abraham, there's David, Moses, and Abraham, the big three of our Old Testament. And you know your father Abraham and the promise to him, and, and you like call him your father? Let me tell you something about Abraham. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Jesus makes the claim that Abraham, who lived 2,000 years ago, I was on his mind, and he was so excited of me being here because, again, Abraham was the father that was going to bless all the nations. The Messiah was going to come through him. So Jesus was saying, I was on Abraham's mind. And they're like, who are you? You're not, only, you're 50, not even 50 years old. He was in his probably his early 30s. Like, you're saying that you were on his mind 2,000 years ago? How dare you make that claim? Jesus makes a lot of claims about who he is, right? I am the light of the world. I am the way, and the, truth, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. 
But this claim is the biggest claim. I am. He could have said, before Abraham was, I was. That would have been true. But he purposely says, I am. Because the Pharisees, hearing that phrase, I am, they knew that that was Yahweh, the I am, that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. You're calling yourself God? And they picked up stones to kill him. Jesus says, I'm God in the flesh. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John would say it, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And what is interesting here, if you can, Jesus is God with flesh on, but in the Old Testament, there's this phrase, the angel of the Lord. When Moses goes over to the bush, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and many believe the angel of the Lord is what's called a theophany, a visible manifestation of the invisible, so that the theophany was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, appeared to Moses. Later, he would take upon himself a body. Very interesting. But Jesus is saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm God. We live in a day where everybody is telling you that you have the right to define who God is. You get to custom make your own God. Well, my God's like this, and someone else, well, my God's like this, and, and you know, God, and, and whatever, you got, whatever you want God to be. Jesus is saying, that's not true. I'm God. I am we don't define God. He defines himself. Little, can you imagine? Little crickets around here. Like, we have no clue. We're finite beings of the infinite. The infinite has to reveal himself to the finite. And Jesus does that. I am. Now, here is, and by the way, Jesus said to those folks who didn't believe him, the religious leaders, if you're here today, you've got to make a decision about Jesus. Who is he? But Jesus said this to them, and he says it to you and to me. If you do not believe that I am, then you will indeed die in your sins. If you don't believe that I'm God come to you to save you, to rescue you out of your sins, that's why I died on the cross for your sins, to pay that debt to make you right with God, a holy God. If you don't believe that, you'll die in your sins. We have to make a choice about Jesus. But oh, my friends, what a good God we have. This name Yahweh is his personal name. God has other names in Scripture that are his functional names, but this is his personal names. Again, it's used over 6,800 times. If we go back to verse 15 of Exodus 3, notice Yahweh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are people. This is the personal God who's in relationship with people. This is the God who is eternal, self-existent, unchangeable. He's transcendent, but this is the God who is imminent, who sees us and knows us and cares about us and came to rescue us. And we get to go through life calling him Lord, Yahweh, Father, Abba, our personal God. David knew this, that God 
was a personal God. And David called him by his personal name. In, uh, for example, in uh, Psalm 8.1, David writes this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. That's his personal name. But then the next Lord, you'll notice it's not in capitals. It's lowercase. That's the Hebrew word Adonai. And that is a functional name of God. That's what God does. He's the sovereign ruler, the sovereign king. So he's calling God by his personal name and his functional name. It's kind of like saying Elizabeth, our queen, right? Her personal name's Elizabeth. Her functional name is queen. Uh, similarly with myself, uh, with my wife Lisa, uh, I have my personal name Dan. And then I have kind of like my functional name, uh, husband, father, pastor, okay? She doesn't call me functional names a whole lot. She can, and we see through Scripture, you can. Call him Elohim, you know, God of creation. Call him El Shaddai, oh, almighty God. We can call him functional names. But he, he says, no, you can call me a personal name. Just like my wife, she calls me Dan. She doesn't, for the most part, go around saying, oh, husband, oh, father, oh, pastor, um, once in a while, she has in the past used my functional name, oh, father of our three children. One of them is acting up, and you're their father, so she just has to say, oh, father of your three children. Okay, functional name. She calls me Dan. Do you understand when, when you encounter this God that he not only is the self-existing, eternal, unchangeable God and all of those other characteristics, but he's a God who cares and loves you, a God who came to die on a cross for you, to save you, to take you out of your sin. You're in the wilderness right now, but one day you're going to the promised land. You're going to see Jesus. When you, that grips a hold of you, you get it, it changes you from the inside out. When you encounter this God, you're not enamored by people anymore. Yes, you can appreciate people, and again, I don't want to keep using Taylor Swift. She's just in the news a lot today. I don't know if she's going to the game or whatever, but, you know, sometimes you see somebody with Taylor Swift or some celebrity or athlete, and, the, and the, you know, the person's just like, oh, they're having a meltdown, okay? They're a fellow cricket. Like, you can appreciate them, hey, you know, like this song or whatever, but don't be worshiping a fellow cricket. You're not enamored by people. You're not intimidated by people right? Someone's giving you a hard time. Your boss. You're not like fearful of your boss. You're not fearful of someone at school. You're not fearful of people. You're not intimidated by people. They're crickets. The Lord, the Almighty, the one who has no beginning and end, He is with you. You don't have to be intimidated. Put your fears in the right perspective. Again, when you fear God, it puts all your other fears in perspective. You get to go through life freer. And when you encounter this God, there's so many things, but you stop living for yourself and you're living for him. The world is being driven by this, that, and the other thing. This thing, those things don't drive you. That's not what gets you up out of bed in the morning. You're not thinking that way the world thinks. You're not acting the way the world acts. You're not behaving the way the world acts because you've met the living God and your life is about him. You're on your way to the promised land. When you meet this living God, it's not ho-hum. And for Moses, oh my goodness, it's gonna change his life. So Moses is like, uh, Lord, who are you? God says, here I am. And Moses then throws up his hands again. And we've got to cut Moses some slack. Exodus 4, verse 1. Moses answered, 
what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Well, let's, tell, let's say I tell them who you are. You're Yahweh, the I am. Uh, Moses had a hard time believing what he saw was true, let alone trying to convince someone. Moses sees himself going back to Egypt and, or going to see the, the Hebrew leaders and, and say to them, you know, hey, I was out in the desert one day just looking after the flocks, and uh, I saw this bush. It was on fire, and, but it didn't burn up, and I heard a voice, and I went closer, and the voice uh, was God, and he told me to go and to uh, rescue the people out of Egypt. Um, so that's why I'm here. Like, God told me to come and get you. They're like, my friend, you've been in the sun too long. You've been around sheep too long. You're seeing things. You're hearing things. And Moses, he's, this is legit. Like, they're not going to believe this. Verse 2, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And notice this, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It, has bec it had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses says to God, they're not going to believe me. This plan is not going to work. And God says, the God who says, I will be with you, says, listen, I'm going to give you three signs. And these signs are all signs of God's power. When you read your Bible, you come across in the Old Testament and New Testament what we would call miracles, where they're supernatural, kind of superimposed on a natural. And these signs are not simply magic tricks. They're communicating something to us. They're authenticating the message or the messenger. So for Jesus, when he heals a blind man, when he uh, heals a lame man, when he uh, makes, turns water into wine, he's not doing magic tricks. This is not like some show. There are all of these signs are pointing to who he is. And God says to Moses, I'm going to do some signs for you so that you can do them uh, to know that, that I'm with you and my power is with you. And you're going to be doing some signs in Egypt when you get there. And notice the signs. They're not at random. I was saying first service. It's not like I was saying, hey, Moses, like for us. Um, you know the hockey stick you have in your hand? Throw it on the ground. Look at it. It's a can of maple syrup. Isn't that wonderful? Now, you know, pick it back up. Oh, it's a hockey stick. What were these signs? They were all to do with power. The snake... Mo Moses, he would have recalled in his 40 years in Egypt, Pharaoh with a snake on his crown. It was a protective deity among the many deities of Egypt. And what God was saying to Moses is, you know the power that Pharaoh has? Uh, I got a little more power than him. 
Uh, put your hand in your cloak, take it out. Oh, it's leprosy, put it back in. Oh, okay, now take it out again. It's healed. Leprosy, uh, not leprosies. Um, yeah, leprosy in that day was a death sentence. There was no cure. And so what God is saying to Moses, you know, leprosy, when people get it, it's a death sentence. No, take it back out. I, I got power over death. Okay, and then finally, if they don't believe those, uh, you know, the Nile, the Nile was Egypt, Egypt's the Nile. It was, that's why we see so much migration, why people in, in this time period gravitate around, because of water. And the Nile was worshipped. You see the Nile? Uh, I got more power than the Nile. Throw it on the ground, look, it becomes blood. So these aren't magic tricks. They're helping Moses to see that the God who will be with him to help him in this task, in this calling, is a powerful God. Moses throws up his hands once again, verse uh, 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Again, Moses, it's all about him, his ability. I can't, there's no way. And many believe he had a stutter. By the time I get it out, nobody's listening to me. You've got the wrong guy. This is the wrong plan. And God, again, causes Moses to shift his eyes onto him. Hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. Now go. And then verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. God, surely there's someone better than me. I can't do it. And at this, if you read the rest of the story, Moses, or God uh, is angry. There's a righteous indignation because God is being limited. But also that God who is righteous and just and almighty and holy is a God of mercy. And he, he's patient with Moses. And he says, Moses, and, and the story continues, you're going to go. And next week, we're going to see Moses actually going to Egypt, going to confront Pharaoh, going to fulfill his calling of God. When he says, please send someone else, here's what Moses is saying to God. My inadequacies trump your presence and power. And it's the same thing when we say to God over and over again, God, you can't use me, you can't use me, can't use me. I'm just such a loser, I'm just such this. It trumps your presence and your power. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has a purpose for you, to work in you who you're becoming, but to work through you, to be a blessing to others. He calls you, he sends you into school, he sends you into the workplace. Maybe uh, you're here and God's putting it upon your heart, maybe to work with people that have addictions in some Christian ministry. Maybe he's putting it upon your heart to join a short-term missions project. Maybe he's putting it upon your heart to maybe become a life group leader. Maybe he's putting it upon your heart to help out in children's ministry. Maybe he's putting it upon your heart to work at, or to, to work and be a score counter at the Woolwich Memorial Center for hockey games. Wherever God calls you, he says to you, it's not about you. Yes, you're not perfect. Yes, you're going to fail, but I'm going to be with you. Now go. Now just a word, I want to talk to parents for a moment. If you have children, God's called you to be a godly parent to your children. 
But you might be here today and you're like Moses, you feel unqualified and you're overwhelmed and you can parent from a posture where it's all about you. It all depends on you. Oh, I'm not good enough. I don't know if I made the right decision here and I should have said this and I didn't do it. And you just, that's the way you parent and you're all stressed out. That's not what God wants for you. He's with you. He wants you to move from it's all about you and your reliance to daily relying on him. Children have a way of keeping you on your knees. Is that correct? Right? He wants you on your knees before him because he wants you to become something. The becoming starts before the doing. So that's why as a parent, you want to get on your knees and like, oh, on a regular basis, daily basis, you're just like, God, help me. What should I do? What's the, the, what should I do here? Where should I get counsel? I'm, I'm struggling with this child. And, and you're parenting relying on him. And that's where the power comes from. So let's say you're, you're parenting and you lose it with your child and you're like, God's saying to you, I want you to go and forgive. I want you to be like me. I'm a God of forgiveness. And you're like, I don't feel like it. But when you take that step and you're like, I'm going to go and ask my child to forgive me, his power is made available and you experience in, in him. So I want to ask you today, where is God calling you? He's calling you to do something for him. But are you doing it in your own strength with your own excuses or are you learning to say, okay, God, it's all about you. Help me as I go. I'm going to invite you to join with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, first I want to give you thanks and praise that through your spirit you have opened our eyes to who you are and to what you've done for us. For each person that has been saved, rescued, as Paul says, we are saved for a purpose, to be used of you. And so, Lord, I pray for those that know you. Lord, in the days ahead, you would continue to reveal what you would have them to do, even each day. And, Lord, I pray for them that they would learn to depend on you. Lord, daily looking to you and focusing on your strength and your power as opposed to our shortcomings. Lord, I pray for Woodside Church that you will continue to use us in this broken and lost world. Lord, use us. And then, Lord, I pray for any person that's here uh, today or watching online that has never said yes to your son, Jesus. Oh, Lord, would you open their eyes to see that he is the great I am. He is the savior of the world. Oh Lord, would you give them faith to put their faith in Jesus and to follow him. Lord, we thank you for the time in your word today. We pray your blessing upon it.